are beginning our Christmas series called Picture This. And uh, there's a lot of things that go hand in hand with Christmas. And one of those are pictures. And here's the, the, the kind of the big idea for this, this entire series is that, that a picture doesn't always tell the whole story. You know, there's the old saying that a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, why is that? Because there's always more of a story than just what the picture has to share. And I guess some examples for you guys to kind of look at this. Look at this first picture. Um, you know, what, what do you see? You see three antique cars on, on a road, right? Well, is that really the story? Let's, let's look at the next picture. Ah, so you guys are like, oh, okay, I see what they did there, right? It's all about perspective. They're not real cars. They're little miniature cars, right? Let's go to the next picture. Uh, this, you know, this cool picture of this little girl, you know, in the rainstorm, you know, being shielded by the, the big, big leaf and all that kind of stuff. But is that really what's going on in this picture? No, right? See, a picture doesn't always tell the whole story. What, what about this? Listen, I think one of the, the things that if you're a parent, that, you know, maybe for many of you guys, this becomes part of your tradition. We're actually going to go do this right today after we get done here with this service. But it's time to get pictures with Santa, right? And if you've ever gone as a parent or you've witnessed this, what, what you've seen is this epic struggle for the good shot, right? You go in with great expectations that, you know, that Santa's not going to be, you know, he's going to look clean, right? And he's not going to be creepy looking. You know, that your kids are not going to throw an ever-loving fit, right? Just because Santa's there. You go in with this great expectation that you're going to capture the Santa picture of the millennium. And then your picture looks more like this. Right? Right? Now, that's like a normal Santa picture. So you, you, you're okay with that. But here's the reality is there's so much more to this story than just that. There's a story of, you know, hair being done, dresses being picked out, bribes being made about if you don't cry, I'll buy you this. Like there's all that kind of stuff going on. There's, you know, mom and the crazy person with the crazy little squeaker doll, you know, yelling at the kids, trying to get them to smile. There's the annoyed Santa who can't feel his feet anymore because he's been sitting down for four hours. Like, you know, there's all that kind of stuff going into it because a picture doesn't always tell the whole story. And sometimes if we look at a picture, it's not fair to say, okay, well, here's what happened in that story. But the reality is this, is that in the same way that a picture doesn't tell the whole story, a picture, one picture of your life doesn't tell the whole story of your life either. And when it comes to the Bible, so many times we take one picture of a person in the Bible or maybe what happened in the Bible and we believe that or we believe that to be the entire story. And sometimes what happens is, is it's hard for us to relate to people in the Bible because when you think about their life, all you think about is the pretty picture. But what we forget is that the real story was oftentimes a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult than that. And I think that happens at Christmas time. If I were to ask you today, what do you think of when you think of Christmas? What picture comes to mind? It's probably the picture from the Bible. What picture comes to mind from the Bible is probably the picture of this nice, neat barn, right, that's completely clean and sanitary. There's, you know, Mary and Joseph who look, you know, it looks like they haven't been staying in a barn, that they're all, you know, all nicely pressed. Their garments are all clean and white, you know, all that kind of stuff's going on. You've got baby Jesus sitting in the manger, not crying at all, Right? just completely content to be lying in a horse trough. Like, that's all good. You know, you got the cows over here not stinking or making a noise. You got the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the sheep over here. Like, like, everything is this nice, pristine, picture-perfect reality. But is that the real story of Christmas? 
Well, it's not if you read the Bible. Because Christmas, like every other story in the Bible, has to do with real people. And real people are not perfect people. And so one of the things we want to do for this series is this, is we want to pull back the curtain a little bit on the story of Christmas, the characters of Christmas. And we want to say, okay, what's the real story? Not what's one snapshot picture, but what's the real story of what happens when God uses ordinary people to be part of extraordinary things? And here's why that's so important is because we are all imperfect people. We all have our struggles. We all have those areas in our life where, where it's hard for us to maybe live out our faith the way that we would like to. And sometimes I feel like if we're not careful, we can feel so removed from the people in the Bible that we don't feel like we can connect or learn much from them. When in reality, the Bible's full of imperfect people just like you and me. And the reason why we wanna be a church that welcomes an imperfect person is because we're a church full of imperfect people. And we're all imperfect, but with God, everything is possible. There's no limit to what God could do through a person who's just like you and me. And so we wanna look at people in the Christmas story and not just paint the picture of all the great things they did, but let's look at the struggles that they had to get to where God was gonna use them. And this morning, we wanna look at this. We wanna begin by looking at the story of a guy named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah, was, his story is found in Luke chapter one. So let's, let's look at that. We're gonna read it together. And we're gonna look at this, this reality of, you know, not just one picture in his life or even two pictures, but how the pictures of what God did in and through Zechariah paint a story that we can identify with probably more than we realize when we just look at it on the surface level. So Luke chapter one, starting in verse five, says this, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So Zechariah served as a Jewish priest one of about 20,000 priests in, in, in the Jewish area at this time. And he was from the line of the very first Jewish priest that goes all the way back to the Old Testament story of Moses and his brother Aaron. And Elizabeth could also trace her lineage back to Aaron as a priest. And it says a couple things about these people. Number one is that they were faithful people. So Zechariah and Elizabeth loved God. They followed God. They lived as best they could to do the things God would command them to do. But then they were also childless. They also had their own struggles in life. They also had suffered the disappointment of not being able to have children. And they had gotten to the point in their life where they were older. And they felt like, you know, that time, that opportunity had long passed. And that was something that we see that had been kind of a shame to them because of the way their culture saw a, a childless couple. But it was something that God was going to work through nonetheless. Look at verse 8. It says, one day Zechariah was um, serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. Like I said, there were about 20,000 priests at the time. And so they couldn't all go and work the temple at the same time. So what would happen is this, is that they would be in different smaller groups and they would work at the temple about twice a year. So this was one of his weeks to work. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So this is something that when you understand the history of it was a very special honor. There were so many priests that maybe once in your life, you got to go into the temple and actually burn incense at, at, the, at the altar of the Lord. And it says, while the incense was to be burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. 
So Zechariah goes into the temple to burn incense. A great crowd would be waiting for him to come back out, and then they would all worship God together. That's kind of what's going on here. Look at verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid. We're going to see throughout the, the stories of, of the Christmas story in particular that when the angels would show up and the messengers would come and speak to people, their first reaction was to be afraid. But the angel always began by saying, fear not, don't be afraid. And he comes to Zechariah and he says, listen, God, verse 13, God has heard your prayer. Well, what prayer? Because Zechariah had probably prayed many prayers in his life. I think it was the prayer that he and Elizabeth had said many, many times throughout the years, God, would you please give us a child? And the angel says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. So he said, listen, that God is gonna give you a child after all these years, after all this, this disappointment, after all this struggle, after all this struggling to believe, you know, listen, listen, God is gonna answer your prayer and he's gonna answer it in a way that you could not even imagine him answering it. This child is gonna be a child you're gonna name John. And he's going to be the one to announce that the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of the world, is on his way and has arrived. It says that he's going to be a great leader for God. And here's what he's going to do. Look at verse 16. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, who's an Old Testament prophet. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. John is going to make a huge difference in the world. He's going to play a major role in the story of God. He's going to be the one that will become known as John the Baptist, the one who came to announce that Jesus, the Messiah, was on his way. What was Zechariah's response to this incredible news and great promise? Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. He's saying, listen, basically, I, I don't know about that. I'm struggling to believe what you're saying. Because when I look at the situation, I see that we've not been able to have kids, and we're not young anymore. Everything is saying this is not possible. So how can I be sure? How can I be sure this is not gonna, that you're lying to me? Well, I'm thinking, number one, there's an angel standing in front of you, right? And, and so, you know, it's like, okay, it's kind of, you, gotta, you gotta find the comedy in scripture sometimes. This angel shows up in this great miraculous way and, and you're kind of like, I don't know that you can do that. Okay, well, here's what the angel says. Angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Hey, listen, okay, let's not focus on me, but, but you understand who's talking to you? That I came from the very presence of God with this promise and message, but you don't believe me. Okay, um, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you're gonna be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. He says, okay, listen, you want a sign? You want to have faith to believe what I'm telling you is actually going to happen? You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. And from that point, Zechariah couldn't speak. 
It says, meanwhile, the people outside were waiting for Zechariah to come back out of the temple. So they're kind of like, okay, it doesn't take this long to light incense. Did he forget the matches? Did he like, you know, what happened? Like, they're, they're confused, right? And the Bible says that Zechariah then comes, finally comes out and people are like, what happened? And Zechariah's like, you know, he can't talk, you know? And so he tries to tell them what happened. So you can imagine this community moment, right? This priest comes walking out and they're like, why can't you talk? He's like, I can't talk. He's like, what happened? He's like, angel, baby, you know, speak. Like, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And all the people can, can figure out is, is that something miraculous has happened. Like, God is doing something. But here's what I want to focus on for the next little bit of time. Have you ever been like Zechariah? Have you ever struggled to believe what God said? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you know God said he's going to do this? You know God said this is the right thing. You know God said, here's how I'm going to respond. But you found yourself struggling to believe. I have. I think we all have. Because sometimes, sometimes in our life, we struggle with doubt. Sometimes in our life, we listen to what the Bible says. We see what God promises, and, and we struggle to believe. We really struggle to say, okay, I'm going to believe that in a way where I'm going to have confidence in it, and it's going to change my life. And see, that picture of Zechariah that we sometimes talk about is that Zechariah struggled to believe. And what we want to look at is this, is that when we struggle to believe, we have a choice. We can either allow doubt to define us or we can choose to trust God. And here's the bottom line for today. That doubt, if we choose doubt, if we allow doubt to define the situations and circumstances in our life, if we allow doubt to define us, doubt will always disable. Doubt will always disable. Think about the example of Zechariah. His doubt led him to had a disability for a season of time where he could no longer speak. His doubt disabled his life. In the same way, when we allow doubt to define us and determine our direction in life, it disables us from experiencing the fullness of what God has promised and what God wants to do to bless us. But the flip side is this, is while doubt will disable, faith will free us. Faith will free us. So what do we do when we find ourselves in the situations in life where we struggle to believe? Where we're struggling to choose trust and not allow doubt to determine our, our destination. What, what do we do with that? Well, let me show you six things real quick that, that I believe we need to remember. When we find ourselves like Zechariah, struggling to believe, struggling to take God's word and say, okay, here's how I'm going to live this out. Struggling to take God's promise, this situation and saying, here's how I'm going to have faith. Here's how I'm going to have trust. Six things that we need to remember. Write these down. Here's the first one. Is that if you're struggling to believe, if we struggle to believe, we first need to realize that even good people can struggle with doubt. Even good people can struggle with doubt. I think sometimes we, we feel like if we ever struggle with doubt, if we ever attempted to maybe do something God told us not to do, that we're not a good person. That we're not truly a Christian. That, that we're not as good as maybe some other Christians that we know. But listen, everybody can struggle with doubt. Even the good and the righteous people among us. What does it say? What did it say about Zechariah and Elizabeth? That they were righteous people. He was a priest. 
He was one of those chosen, pulled aside, selected to serve God on behalf of God's nation of Israel. And he finds himself in a place where he struggles with believing. We know that. Look at Luke one twenty. It says, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, the angel says, listen, you doubted. Even good people can struggle with doubt. If you go to the disciples, Jesus' 12 closest followers, we see that Jesus was oftentimes coming at them and saying, why are you having such little faith? Why are you not believing? These are the ones that Jesus said, I'm going to use you to birth the church and to, to be the forerunners and write much of what we have in the Bible. These are very good, righteous men who love God and they struggle with doubt. One example is in Matthew 14, 31, where Peter's walking on water. Jesus says, Jesus is literally walking on water. And Peter says, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come out. He says, come on. Peter begins to walk on water. And he's walking on water. Jesus is miraculously working in his life. And it says that he looked around and saw the wind and the waves and the storm that was going on. And when he got distracted, he began to doubt. And he began to sink. Well, Jesus' response is this. It says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabs him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Listen, we all at times are going to struggle to believe. We're going to struggle to be obedient. And we need to realize that when that happens, we're not alone. That we all face that struggle. We all encounter things in life that are hard for us to believe in a way that, that changes our life, that we, we, we live out in full obedience. But here's the reality, though, is that while good people have struggled in doubt, we need to remember that great people don't let the doubt define their life. The difference between a good person who doubts and a great person is that while the good person may doubt, the great person, the faithful person, the one God uses in incredible and miraculous ways is a person that doesn't allow that doubt to define their life. They embrace it, but they choose something different. Listen, it's one thing to recognize our struggles but not resign to their outcome. This is where the second thing comes in. We need to remember when we're struggling to believe, listen, that, that anybody and everybody, even good people, righteous people, you know, faithful people to God can struggle with doubt. But it's always better when we find ourselves in that place, it's always better to choose trust over doubt. That choosing trust is always better than choosing to doubt. That being defined by trust in our life is always better than allowing the doubt to define our life and our actions. See, when Zechariah was given that, that promise and he doubted, the angel said, I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign wasn't just a sign. I think, I believe that sign was also a punishment. That sign was a difficulty because if you've ever lost your voice, you know how hard it is to communicate. You know how annoying it is to try to tell people what you're thinking when you can't vocalize that. How annoying it is for you and maybe not for them, but for you, right? You know, it's hard. It's not, a, it's not a positive thing. We don't, we don't want to say, listen, God, please take away my ability to speak. Now, sometimes we think that because we put our foot in our mouth. But I mean, like, all, all the time. And that might go on for four or five days. Can you imagine over nine months? Listen, this wasn't a blessing. In some ways it was, but it was primarily, I think, it was a punishment. Because when we doubt and we're disobedient, Right? difficulty arrives in our life. And I think the angel's wanting to teach us that. That's why the Bible tells us time and time again, and I don't have time to read the verses, but if you look on your note sheet, in James and in Proverbs, that we are to be people who choose to believe and choose to trust. Why? 
Because even though we doubt, even though we're going to struggle with doubting, it's always better to trust than to doubt. It's always better at the end of the day to say, you know what? Yes, I'm struggling to believe, but I'm going to choose to doubt. I'm going to choose to trust. Look at the third thing. One of the things we need to remember when we're struggling to believe is that past disappointments can lead to lead us to doubt future possibilities. That past disappointments can lead us to doubt future possibilities. Here's what I mean by that. Why do you think Zachariah was hesitant to believe what the angel had promised? I mean, if an angel showed up to you and, and, and like showed up and said, this is going to happen, I would like to think that I'm going to believe that. Now, I, I might struggle, to be honest with you. But if an angel came to me, right? I mean, think about that. Wouldn't you think that you'd be a little more likely to believe that? Well, why did he struggle? Well, it might have been that he struggled to believe what the angel said was possible because of what he was disappointed in from the past. The angel said that God has heard your prayer. Well, what prayer? I think the prayer that was specifically targeting and, and, and praying for a child. And if, if, if anybody, if you know anybody who's ever struggled with infertility, that journey of praying for a child, that journey of asking God to provide a son or daughter, that journey of, of seeking God in those months and those years of asking God to answer this prayer, and then God doesn't answer it in your, in his, in his, your timing or, or doesn't answer it all, you know that that can create disappointment in your life. But it's not even just children. If you've ever prayed that God would do something, if you've ever prayed that God would not do something, if you've ever prayed that a situation would work out differently and it didn't, it can cause us to be disappointed. And when we're disappointed in somebody or we're disappointed in God, it's harder to trust what they say the next time, right? If, if somebody lets you down and you're disappointed in them and they come to you the next time and they say, but trust me, are you more likely or less likely to trust them? Less likely. The, thing, the, thing, the same thing can happen with God if we're not careful. And see, I think part of it is, is that Zechariah said, listen, listen, we're old. He said, listen, how's this going to happen? Because our time's passed. We've already, we've already walked this road and God didn't respond. And when God tells us no or God tells us not yet, we've got to be careful that we don't allow that disappointment to define our ability to trust him in the future. Here's a question for you. Is a past disappointment causing you to doubt what God says he's going to do in your life? Is what God did or didn't do or what you said you were going to do and didn't do for God in the past, is, is that defining what you believe God has for your future? Have you never really dealt with the disappointment that you felt when God didn't answer your prayer the way that you wanted him to? See, part of the reason you might be struggling to believe the promises of God and the possibilities of God is because you've never gotten past the disappointment you felt when God didn't do what you wanted him to do. But see, the, the reality is, is this, is that Paul tells us in Philippians that we need to be people who don't focus on the past, but people who look to the future. Look at him, Proverbs or Philippians 3.13. It says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul said, listen, that don't live your life looking back to the past. The past doesn't define you. Your future 
defines you in Christ. And so one of the reasons you might be struggling is because of your past disappointments that you've never wrestled through, you've never become okay with, you've never trusted God with, are now causing you to doubt what he has to say in the future. And sometimes we just need to recognize, okay, that's why I'm having a hard time trusting God. And so now I can deal with that and I can move forward. The flip side of this is number four. When we're struggling to doubt, we need to remember this, that promises kept help us believe promises made. In the one hand, if we're disappointed, it's harder to sometimes maybe trust what, God, what somebody says to us in the future. But the flip side is, is true as well. That when God does work in our life, when God does show up, when we recognize whether we liked it or not, but that God did do in our life the things that he felt is best, when we recognize that God does keep his promises, then it helps us believe that he's going to do what he promises to do in the future. Look at what the angel says when, when Abraham, when Abraham, when Zechariah says to him, Hey, listen, you know, I don't know that I can believe you. I don't, I don't know that I understand this. Look what the angel says. Look who, how he responds in verse 19 and 20. It says, Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring in the good news. The angels, listen, listen, okay, I'm Gabriel, but don't take my word for it. He points to the person, the one who is making the promise, God. He says, listen, you need to understand who this promise is coming from. And you need to believe that God is a God who keeps his promises. See, the the reason why we struggle sometimes is because we don't have, have confidence. But write this down. Confidence comes from knowing both the promise and the promise maker. That if somebody promises us something, we want to look at two things. What is that promise? And we want to look at who's making the promise. See, some of the disappointment we have in God and the frustration we have in God is because we didn't fully understand the promise. See, we oftentimes take the promises of God and we craft them to be the promises we want God to make to us. Take this for example. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've said this before. I know I've said it before in my life. You come across a difficult situation and somebody says to you, but hey, listen, man, God's promise is this, is that God promises he'll never give you more than you can handle. And you're sitting in that situation and you're going, that's not true because I can't handle this. I don't know how to solve it. I'm overwhelmed. There's no possible way I can handle that. So what does it get you to question? Does God really mean it when he says that? What we should question is the fact that God never said that. God never made a promise to us that he would never give us anything more than we could handle his promise was is that he would never bring us through some things. He would never give us more that we can handle because of him inside of us. See, God is going to oftentimes bring us in situations that we can't handle. That's why we have God. But see, if we misunderstand the promise, we get mad at God for making a promise he actually never made to us. So we got to understand the promise, but we also understand the promise maker, the one who, who made the promise. And time and time again, we go back and we see that God is a God who keeps his promises. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, the, 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 the Bible says that, that they're talking to the people and, and the Israelite people are looking at all these obstacles and challenges, all these people that they are, are enemies, the, the, who are their enemies, and they're, they're having to fight them and, and they're worried that they're not going to be able to overcome. And here's, here's what the, the author says. It says, perhaps you think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? 
But don't be afraid of them. Why? Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all the land of Egypt. See, we, we don't need to spend so much time looking back, but we also need to make sure that when we do look back, what we remember are we remember the ways that God has been faithful and kept promises. Because promises kept help us believe promises made. Last two, write this down, number six, or number five. Sometimes when we're struggling to believe, the best thing we can do is to be quiet and watch God work. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to be quiet and watch God work. You know, I I think primarily the inability to speak was was a sign, but it was also a difficulty that, 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 that God wanted to give to to Zechariah. But I think part of it was that difficulty could also be seen as a blessing because it meant that Zechariah had to just sit back and he had to just watch God work. So I think sometimes we mess up when we want to, we want to try to help God do what we think God should do, that we want God to do things on our time frame, So we do the things on our time frame. We, we rush God. We take the responsibility of solving a problem that's not really ours to take. The most common example, and the best example of this is the Old Testament uh, man, Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by God. That promise was this, is that he was going to have a son. Very similar situation. He and his wife, Sarah, were unable to have children. They were uh, long in years. That, that time of childbearing had passed. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give you a son. And that son and all your descendants will become this great nation of Israel. And through this nation will come Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then there's this time between when God promises that and then when God actually allows that child to be born. And in the meantime, as they're getting frustrated and they're getting anxious and impatient at God's timing, they decide, Abraham and and Sarah's wife decide, they're going to go ahead and help God out. So they devise this plan where Sarah says it's okay. And so Abraham sleeps with Sarah's maid and gets her pregnant. And they think, okay, well, this is what God has done. We, you know, but God wasn't about that. See, they took it upon themselves to solve the problem. But God said, the problem is mine to solve, and so is the timing. Well, what was the result of that? Well, the, the, the son that was born was a, a son named Ishmael. The promised child that God allowed Abraham and Sarah to have is a, is a son named Isaac. Isaac is the forerunner to the Jewish people. Ishmael is the forerunner to the Palestinian people. How is that working even in today's world with how those two nations get along? See, when we rush God's timing, when we try to solve God's problems to solve, oftentimes we create more of a problem than if we would have waited on God. Psalm 4610 says this, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and let God do what God can do. Now, listen, we said there were other times, we said a couple weeks ago, where God's waiting on us because God has clearly said, here's what you need to do, now go and do it. But if you've done all that you know what to do, if God has led you and you've pursued that as best you can, and you're at the end of your rope, you're, you're, you're with sin, you have nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, don't try to solve that problem. What you need to do is you need to sit back and let God do what God can do. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth only had a child because God allowed them to have a child. They had done all that they knew how to do. And so he had to sit back, be quiet, and let God work. And here's the last thing. When we're struggling to worship, struggling to believe, excuse me, 
what do we do? Well, when God works, we need to worship. When God works, we need to worship. So as, uh, as the story continues, Abraham, or Abraham, Zechariah is done with his priestly duty. They go back home. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And all the things that happen that the angel said would happen come to pass. Well, the time comes where the baby is born. And on the eighth day, as is the custom in the Jewish culture, they, they go to take the son to be circumcised, to be dedicated toward God. And at that time, the baby is given their name. He's given his name. So they go have the baby circumcised. All the families around us, this great big celebration. Now, now here's the thing. Zechariah has still not been able to talk. So the baby's born. He can't talk. The baby's a day old. He still can't talk. A week later, he still can't talk. He's probably a little bit frustrated because he's kind of like, okay, the baby's born. What else is left? Well, there was still something that needed to be done. They go to name the baby. And remember, the angel said, you're going to give birth to a son. And you're going to name that son what? John. Well, as they go to name the, the baby and they ask Elizabeth, the mom, what the baby's name is going to be. And she says, his name is going to be John. And all the well-meaning nosy in-laws, right, and, and families say, that doesn't make any sense at all. Nobody in our family is named John. Why would you not name that baby Zachariah? Why would you not name that baby after the uncle or, 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 or some, you know, that, no, no, you can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. And, and they say, okay, well, let, let's ask Zachariah what he thinks. And Zechariah, still able to talk, has a, has a slate, and he writes down, his name is John. And as soon as he declares his name is John, Zechariah is free, and he's able to speak again. And guess what the first thing Zechariah does after nine months of not being able to talk? He begins, <laughs> no, no, that's a good one, no. He begins to worship. He begins to praise God. Because over those nine months, he had to sit back and watch God work. And his first response was to worship. And see, I think that's so important because when we are struggling to believe and God keeps his promise and God shows up, we are so tempted. I do this. We're so tempted to pursue God and pray to God and go after God and do all these things when we want God or need God to do something. And then God shows up and he does something. And immediately what we do is we go to the next thing we want God to do. And if we don't need that, then we just kind of back away from God until the next crisis comes up. But what we need to do is when God works, we need to worship. We need to respond. We need to let him know what he has done and tell others what he has done. Why? Because when we do that, it helps us to remember what God has done. So the next time we find ourselves in the same situation, we can look back and remember the promises God kept and how we were able to worship because of what God has done. See, taking time to celebrate, taking time to worship when God works is part of how we grow our faith. It's how we prepare ourselves for the next challenge and the next struggle to believe. See, if you take the one picture of Zechariah as the doubting priest, it only shares part of the story. But if you only take the picture of John the Baptist and his faithful parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, then you're also only missing. You're only taking part of the story. But the beauty of Zechariah's story is not when he doubted and it's not when he believed. It's the entire journey. And that's the importance of our journey too. Is it's not just what God does when things are easy and how it ends up. It's about the journey that we're a part of. 
You see, we all find ourselves in places where we struggle to believe. And when we choose to doubt, that doubt will disable us from living a life of faith. But if we choose to have faith, we become free. Free to live for God. Free to worship God. Free to proclaim his goodness. Free for him to do in and through us all the things he has in mind and in store to do in and through us. And so here's the takeaway. The band comes out and gets ready. Here's the takeaway for today. Where in your life are you struggling to believe? Where in your life are you struggling to believe? What is that situation? What is that truth? What is that promise? What is that difficulty? What is that past disappointment you're not letting go of? What is that, 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 that breach of trust? What is that, what is that thing? right? Where are you struggling to believe? If you allow doubt to define that situation in your life, it's going to disable you. It's going to keep you from being able to live the fullness that God has for you, to experience the blessing God has for you. But if you'll choose to trust God, if you'll choose to fight against doubt and trust him, God can do miraculous things, amazing things, incredible things, and give you the confidence in him that you need to keep going and being faithful. So where are you struggling to believe? What is the thing that God wants to free you of this Christmas season? You know, the band's gonna play and we're gonna sing a song together called I Believe. It's a declaration that says we trust, we have faith, we believe in who God is. We believe in what God has done. But maybe that's not what you need to do to respond today. Maybe you need to, to, to write down and define, God, here is what I'm struggling to believe in. Here is where I'm struggling to believe. Here's where I need your help, where I need your prayer, where I need your power. And so I want to invite you as we stand in a minute and we sing together, if you need to identify that, do that. If you need to write it out, write it out. If you want to share that with us, these two fences on the wall here are our prayer areas. And so you can come and there's cards there. Write down, this is where I'm struggling to believe. This is the situation I'm facing. And then stick that in the fence and we as a, as a staff, we'll, we'll pray over that this next week and pray that God will help you to trust him in whatever situation you're going through. Or maybe you need to come to the front and just kneel down here in this, this space and just say, God, I just need to come and bow before you and, and declare that, God, I need you. Whatever God has for you today, don't miss out on the chance to respond. Because if you're struggling to believe, God is there to give you what you need to trust him. We stand with me as we pray? Father God, we come to you in this moment. And Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, for what you've done. And God, what you're doing and going to do. And God, as we come today, I know, God, that there are some in this room, God, that are struggling to believe. They're struggling to trust you, God. They're struggling to apply and live out, God, your truth. But God, we want to be people who aren't defined by doubt, but God, are free because of faith. So God, we give to you whatever that is that we're struggling with. God, we ask that you would give us the strength we need to trust you and to proclaim, God, that we believe 
in every word that you say, every promise you've made. And we believe that you have the power to keep those promises. So God, we give this time to you. It's in Jesus' name.